This is Parsha Panorama, and this week's Parsha is Parsha's Kisavo, here at the database with Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg. And with Parsha's Kisavo, we finally arrive at that covenant, which we mentioned in recent weeks, which was first mentioned and referenced in the Torah earlier in Parshasra A, the covenant that would eventually take place at Harival and Har Grizim when the Bnei Israel entered the land, Kisavo El Aretz. We pointed out that Parsha Sra'eh was a bit of a turning point. Moshe Rabinu switched gears from talking about the past to talking about the future, and I guess the present or the near future for the Bnei Israel and their relationship with Hashem when eventually Moshe Rabinu will not be around. The covenant that takes place at Harival and Hargrizim does not actually take place in the Chumash, it takes place in Sefer Yehoshua, and that, that, that ceremony is, um, is featured in Sefer Yehoshua, but the description of the layout of that covenant is finally described here in Parshas Kisavo. And it's in this Parsha where Moshe Rabbeinu is giving them direct instructions, not just for the terms of the covenant, which will be argued was taking place in the past few Parshios, but now Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, as soon as you actually go into the land, here's what it's going to look like. And if we assume that everything up until now was the print of you could say the, um, I don't know if you'd call it the, the, the actual terms of the document, but here we have headers. We have a sort of a, I don't know if I would call it a, a bill of rights or some other kind of summary and outline. And it's actually a very unique one, one that we have to talk about. Because one question that we have not really addressed and we will address it finally today, is why, in fact, the Bnei Israel needed an additional covenant. And the fact that there is this additional covenant is very clear from the fact that after the Tochacha, this in this week's Parsha, um, so the Chumash actually summarizes with these exact words, saying that... These are the words of the verse that Hashem commanded Moshe to cut or to forge with the Bnei Israel, but Eretz Moav in the land of Moav, that's where they are now. This is besides from the verse that took place at Chorif at Har Sinai, Kabbalah Satora. That was the covenant of covenants, but it wasn't the final one. We have a new covenant, and it's finally being elaborated on in our parsha. Why do we need a new covenant? Like, what's the point? Is something wrong with the old one? Right, um, we need we need a new covenant. We need a new testament. Like chas like, v'shalom. Like, like, well, what, what, what does that mean? So we have to address that. And while we are referencing the tochacha as well, you might notice, if not from life in general, you might have noticed from Parsha Panorama, if you've been following us from the beginning, that this is not the first tochacha that we have in the Torah. This is apparently the second one. So we have a new covenant. We have a new tochacha. You might ask the same question. We already had a tochacha back in which parsha? I'll give you a chance to guess. Too late. Okay, it's in Parsha's Bichukosai, at the very end of Sefer Vayikra. And we spoke about the, the role of the covenant in that, and the tochacha, I should say, in that parsha. So why do we have another one here? Who, like, who is this being addressed to you know, differently than what the, the previous um, tochacha was being addressed to? Why do we need a second tochacha? And you might say that for whatever reason we needed a new covenant, that might be the reason why we need a new tochcha. Apparently the tochcha is the cap to the covenant. Right? If we were rewind back to the tochcha that took place at the end of Sefer Vayikra, which was once again in 
Parshas Bichukosai. So we had a very similar sort of summary. If you look back there, the Chumash says, that's the one that took place at Chorev, the one that took place at Har Sinai. Very interestingly, there's some halachic parallels between the two Tochachos. There's actually a Takonas Ezra that actually separates the, these two Parshios HaShavua, Parshis Bichukosai, Parshis Kisavo, from all other parshios in the Torah. Because if I told, if I asked you the question, what is the most important kriyas Torah in the entire Torah? And you might say maybe Parshas Kisese, last week's parsha, because it features Parsha Zachor. Right? It's the only Parsha Shavua that maybe the reading of, of that of that piece fulfills a mitzvah diaraisa. Some might say the same thing for Parsha Para. But let's just. But, but we know we have a special time for Parsha Zachor, a special time for Parsha Para. But what actual Parsha Hashavua? in our sequence, is the most important Kriyasa Torah. So Takanas Ezra would tell you that it's actually Parshas Bichukosai and Parshas Kisavo. And that is because, um, as per Takanas Ezra, the, uh, the Tochacha, one in Vayikra, one in Dvarim, each one has to be read right before the something. So for before Bichukosai, the Takana is, it has to be read right before Shavuos. For Parshas Kisavo, that Parsha, the Tocha, has to be read right before Rosh Hashanah. And it has to do with that the, the Tichla Hashanah, the Kol Kol Asav, that, all, um, that the year should finish with all of its curses. There should be no more curses. We kind of want to finish the year with curses so that we should not have to endure any in the, you know, it's kind of like if we hear the Musr now, we won't have to experience it later. And you can ask the question why... Shavuos is considered the beginning of a year in that kind of way because really Pesach is the beginning of the year. You might like you, it would have worked out much better. You could argue if we would have one before Rosh Hashanah, one before Pesach, one before you know one in Tishrei and one in Nisan. Um, but you can argue also that there's apparently something else happening here that maybe has to do a little bit with the concept of Kabbalah Satora, right? There are plenty of um, bases for connecting Rosh Hashanah and Shavuos because. If you think about what the shofar of Rosh Hashanah is supposed to remind us of, you look in the davening for, for Yom Nuraim, at least for Rosh Hashanah, you look at Musaf, and the, the paragraph of shofaros will tell us um, that we're talking about Har Sinai. We're supposed to remember the shofar of Har Sinai. Why would that be? So that's a discussion that um, you could find out a little bit more about if you go to Machzer Manager brand new series that we started. You can also find out a little bit about it if you go to Baltzfila Workshop. We might have had some material on that. There was a lot that we did there, and I don't remember what we covered there. But there's plenty to be said about the connection between Rosh Hashanah and Shavuos, which is all not for now for Parsha Panorama. But just so you understand that there's apparently... It's not, it's not by accident, and it's not that it has no role. It's not that it's just a coincidence that there's another tocha. We have to try to understand the meaning of this tocha and the difference between this one and the previous one, as we are also looking for the significance of a brand new covenant next to another one. We have to address that, and we also have to address some other issues here, because the brand new covenant and the tocha, although those are maybe the meat of Parshas Kisava, but that's not all Parshas Kisava speaks about. Parshas Kisava talks about a couple of other topics, which we referenced earlier this week in Muslim Minutes. Here I go, plugging basically every series that I have here. Um, but in Muslim Minutes, we spoke about um, Mikra Bikurim, 
and vidoi meiser. So mikra bikurim, the declaration that accompanies the mitzvah of bikurim, the first fruits on the one hand, and then you have meiser, vidoi meiser, the different kinds of tithes that you have to pay or consume in a certain fashion, depending on which kind of tithe we're referring to. And there's a vidoi that accompanies it. And we spoke in Muslim minutes about what exactly the nature of the vidoi is, uh, because it sounds like the opposite of a confession. Maybe we have to address what exactly a vidoi means. Separate discussion, but important. But what, what, is, the, uh, but what, what is the significance of the fact that we mentioned mikra bikurim and vidoi meiser? So one thing that I'll tell you in terms of at least Mikra Bikurim, which is the opening of our Parsha, like, like where, are they, where are these coming from? So you could say very simply that part of it is that Bikurim and Meiser are, are just two of the things you got to know immediately when you enter the land. Kisav O'Alar is when you enter the land. But there are a lot of mitzvahs at Tulis Baritz. There are a lot of things that depend on the land. So that alone wouldn't be able to tell us much. But going back to a theme that we've pointed out in previous Parsha panoramas, that sometimes you have a little bit of a bookend. Right? The beginning of the Parsha and the end of the Parsha might um, reference the same thing. So a few years ago, I noticed that Mikra Bikurim actually creeps its way into the Tochacha. And we'll talk about where it is and why it's significant, because it very much is. Because the earlier Tochacha, was also connected to a mitzvah, a different mitzvah. I'll let you think about what mitzvah it was connected to. The tocha in Parshas Bechukosai um, had the overtones of another mitzvah. In fact, not only um, implicitly, but explicitly, the Chumash references a particular mitzvah that was neglected. And I think there is an interplay, a conversation almost, that takes place between the first tocha and the, sec- the second tocha, two different values that are being highlighted. And that'll be a suggestion which you can take or leave, but I, I would tell you to take it because I think it's very compelling and um, you can learn a lot from it. So Bez Rashem will come back to that as well. But while we're here, we, when, we're, when we're thinking about Mikra Bikurim and Vidu Meister, these two different things, so what exactly is the difference between Bikurim and Meiser, right? So that's something that I want you to think about because you know, Bikurim means the first fruits, literally, and, the, and Meiser means the tenth. So are those numbers significant? What do those numbers represent? So that's one thing I want you to think about. And the other things is what we spoke about earlier. So the, the fact that we have a new covenant, a new tocha, what is the significance of those? Now that we have those questions out there, let's just break down the Parsha into its components, and then we'll come back to our questions. So section number one, we have Mikra Bikurim. Great. And that's where we find the passage of Arami Oved Avi, which makes it into our Haggadah. You can go all the way back to the special Haggadah hour share that we had. Um, um, We had basically a, a what's what in the Haggadah, and we spoke plenty about why Arami Oved Avi, of all things, is the passage that we that we break apart in the Haggadah during Magid. Um, that also is not for now, um, but you can go back and listen to that. Then we have section two, Vidwe Meister, which we just referenced. Okay, fine. Three, we have the layout of the new bris that takes place at Harival and Hargrizim, um, where the Chumash tells us that the, the tribes will break into two groups, um, where, you'll, where you'll have half of them on Harival, half of them on Hargrizim. The Levim will be in the middle, uh, in the valley, in the Kohanim, and they'll announce um, various curses. According to Chazal, they also announce blessings. So, for example, they'll take a particular mitzvah. They'll say, you know, um, um, blessed is the person 
who does who who doesn't do this, who doesn't violate this particular avera? Let's say it doesn't do gilu arayos, whatever example it is. The person who doesn't um, do avodazara, and then everyone answers amen. And the same thing for the curses. Um, the chumash only records the curses, interestingly, and that's going to be significant for our conversation later. But um, they say curse is the person who does this, and everyone has to answer amen. Fine. And so we have this whole covenant, a whole ceremony. Great. Um, fine. After that, we have. The second tocha, that's section four. And finally, section five, we have um, a, an epilogue to the contents of the bris. It's basically uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's um, parting words um, for, b- before we get to Parshas Nitzavim, where Moshe Rabbeinu says that um, finally you understand um, where Hashem has brought you all of these years. You, um, you, um, ha- until now, Hashem didn't give you the ability to understand it and appreciate it, but now you can and realize that all the, the things Hashem has done for us, the wars that He's won for us, so that's all that you should um, guard the words of, of the bris and uh, the contents of the covenant. Therefore, do that. And then Moshe Rabbeinu parts. So that's basically our parsha. One more thing I would point out, by the way, is that we have our, um, we have a rare feature um, of Sefer Devarim, which we had, I can only remember one other time, and that is where Moshe Rabbeinu actually stops talking and apparently introduces a new speech. Right back in Parshas Vashanan, we addressed the question why Moshe Rabbeinu intru- um, interrupted his own speech to separate the the uh, the Are Miklat, right? It's like randomly in the Parsha, Aziavdil Moshe. So if you look in our Parsha, when Moshe Rabbeinu finally finishes talking about what, what, what we've been describing as the terms of the covenant, so after Vidui Meiser, where it talks about how we, um, with the Vidui Meiser concludes with a prayer to Hashem, that Hashem looks down from his abode and, and does good for us because we've done everything that we're supposed to do. So after that, the, the Chumash tells us, the Moshe and the elders now started commanding the nation, and this is where they finally start talking about how the covenant's going to look. Meaning, it sounds like the covenant, most of it at least, has been finished. Now we're breaking to talk about what the layout's going to look like. And apparently the Tochcha is part of that as well. So... Moshe Rabbeinu stops talking and then starts talking. Now he's talking with the Zikanim, um, meaning he and the Zikanim are talking about the covenant with the Bnei Israel, and everyone is learning about what the covenant is supposed to ultimately look like. And then we get to that ceremony that we referenced earlier. Okay, so that's, that's um, basically our Parsha in a nutshell. And what we need to do now is address some of our big questions. Why exactly do we have this new covenant? Why do we have this new tochka? What are they addressing? What are they bringing to the table that we didn't know before? Is it just about, oh, it's the next generation? Is there something else there? Because why hasn't the Bnei Israel been bound by the first covenant? Mestama, they have been bound by it. So what are we now adding on top of that? Uh, well, uh, well, you know, well, what kind of uh, measure is this new tochka and this new covenant? I actually want to go back to um, to Vidui Meister and Mikra Bikurim because this is actually, it's, it's not important in and of itself, which it, it is, it's not only that, but I think it's important to get this off the table so that when we come back to it in the Tokha, it's going to be more significant. But um, So again, the, what, what's the significance of, of Meister and the significance of Bikurim? Because they both essentially are a way of giving back 
to Hashem, perhaps, in some kind of way. These are, you might think of them as biblical taxes of some sort, but there's a religious expression that's, that's communicated by each of these. And the question is, what's the difference between these religious expressions? What are you expressing when you, when you convey, when you give over Bikurim versus when you give over Meiser? And the idea, I would say very simply, is that when it comes to Bikurim, the idea is about the first, right? That's the first one. We're not saying how much it is, it just is. This is number one. When it comes to Meiser, Meiser is not the first, but it's 10%. Now, it's, now you, there may not be exactly the sentimental connection of it being the first one, but you might say that 10% is the smallest significant fraction, right? Less than 10% is, okay, whatever, not a big deal. And even 10% itself, it's not like, it's not like the, biggest, um, you know, the, the, the biggest deduction, right? You know, if it would just be 10%, which it is, so you'd be like, okay, it's not, it's not you know, like it, it doesn't hurt you that much. But it does have the sting, you can say, of being a significant fraction in a certain sense. It's, it's not like we're taxing you for everything. It's not like we're taxing you 90%. But 10%, you feel it. It's the, it's the smallest significant fraction that you could feel. Now, what's the difference between those two kinds of things that you're giving up? So when you give up the first, when we talk about the first, the first represents priority. And when it comes to Bikurim, the idea is part of your thanksgiving to Hashem, the v'samach that the Chumash communicates here, that when you do Mikra Bikurim, part of the fulfillment of Mikra Bikurim is v'samach tebecholatov, meirov kol, that all the bounty Hashem has given you, you take the first one and you say, I know that Hashem has given this to me, and therefore I justify my ability to hold on to the rest that Hashem has given me. It's as if I'm giving Hashem everything if I give Him the first, because I put Hashem as number one in my life. That's Bikurim. When it comes to Meiser, Meiser says, okay, now after everything, when it comes to the fair due, when I apportion quantitatively, right? So when I, when I, when I, when I do that, that's a way of saying not just that Hashem is the first one that I have to think about, but that when I have a responsibility to, uh, I have a due to, you know, um, a duty to give to Hashem a certain amount. It's, it's, the, it's you know, it, if you just had to give Hashem the first of everything, so let's say, oh, the first thing I got is a penny. That's the first thing I ever got in my life. It's a penny, I'm going to give it to Hashem. Okay, but it's only a penny. When we, so that you have to actually, you know, there, there has to be a little bit of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, which, and it doesn't just mean the first, but it means that it, part of it, there has to be that stinging feeling of, yeah, I'm giving you something significant because not only... Um, do I not only are you my, my are you my first priority, but you're someone that I owe quality to, or you should say, or we could say quantity in a certain respect. That quantitatively, yes, qualitatively as well. You know, from Hevel versus Kayan, you have to give a qualitative amount. But now we see that you also have to give a significant amount. Okay. Now another aspect of of the, of this. Uh, the, this Vidwe Meister on the one hand and Mikra Bikurim on the other hand, my brother of Daniel pointed out once that Mikra Bikurim and, and Vidwe Meister, they sort of have this, um, this interplay of Bikurim is 
our Mikra Bikur, and we talk about thanking Hashem for, for taking us through the journey, through our history, and getting us to this point so that we could rejoice before Him with the food, the bounty that Hashem has given us. Mikra Bikurim is about recognizing that Hashem has done His. God has done His part. When we do a Vidwe Meiser, Vidwe Meiser is us saying, it's us evaluating ourselves and talking about how we carried out the command of Meiser, giving the portion where we're supposed to give it. Mikra Bikurim says God did His, and Vidoy Meiser says we must now do ours. We do our part. So you have you know, thanking Hashem on the one hand and then taking responsibility to give back on the other. So these are just a couple of the ideas. Now when it comes to um, the fact that we call it a Vidoy Meiser when we're saying, oh, uh, the, uh, you know, I did everything right, that doesn't sound like the Vidoy that we're going to be saying this Mosei Shabbos at Echatzos. When we have Slichos opening night, we have a Baltzvila workshop for that as well. Um, but when we, when we get there, that's not, um, that's not the same kind of vidu where we're saying what we did wrong. Here we're saying what we did right. So go back to Muslim Minutes and see what I said there. What I didn't quote there, though, is the Hon Ashir, who gives a Pashup Shot answer. The Hon Ashir is one of the commentators on the Mishnah. And on the Mishnah Bikurim, he talks about how the, uh, the idea is that really a vidu can be, even though we colloquially translate it as, as, a, as a confession, it doesn't have to be a confession. It could be a basic self-evaluation where you either communicate what you did wrong or what you did right. And here it happens to be the other way. And we had a similar discussion when it came to the concept of nechama. We spoke about two meanings of nechama. Does it mean comfort? Does it mean regret? And we ultimately suggested that it means that, um, it, it mean, it, like Art Scroll says, it means reconsideration. It has to be some combination of the two. And you have a similar explanation here for what the word vidoy actually means. A larger conversation that you could think about, but I would recommend going back to Muslim Minutes and hear the important Yisodos that we spoke about there. But now that we understand a little bit about Mikra Bikurim Vidoy Meister, let's keep going. We're up to the, 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 the New Covenants and the, uh, and the, and the New Tochcha. Okay, so what is happening over here? Why do we need any kind of reinforcing based on you know, everything that we've seen up until now? Why do you need uh, a new bris? Why do you need a new tochecha? So as we talk about the new covenant that we have, one thing that I think is important to notice is not just the fact that it is additional to the previous covenant, but it also, in many ways, resembles the previous covenant. We've already pointed out a couple of parallels, but I want to point to some, I want to point you to some more parallels. And when we notice the parallels, we will not be able to help but notice the contrast. Because the original covenant took place at a mountain, a mountain called Har Sinai. And the new covenant also takes place in, in, in a mountain range, at least. We have Harival Har Grizim. So everything's taking place in the mountains. You'll also notice that all of the commandments, um, that, you know, we, we knew that the Asarsa Dibros, um, the, the format was the commandments were being declared. And here, in this new covenant, we have the, also the Kohanim there declaring um, something that resembles mitzvahs in the Torah. Not just any mitzvahs, by the way. Many of the mitzvahs that are declared in this particular covenant, so we said it's in the form of a blessing and a curse, but a lot of them resemble the Asaras Adibros. So, for example, it talks about someone who curses or disgraces their parents. Someone who does such a thing is cursed, and, and everyone answers, Amen. 
So we have something that's similar to Kibbutz Avaim. We have other similar commandments. We have references to Avodazara, references to Gilu Arayos, a person who does this, he's cursed, and everyone says, Amen. So we have a lot of, um, of, or at least a handful of mitzvos that are summarized and brought down here that resemble the Aseris Adibros. They're not, it's not a perfect parallel, but it's, it's very much reminiscent of Kabbalah Satora. And here also, in this particular covenant, just like we had the Luchos made of stone, so in this particular covenant, look in the Chumash. The Chumash tells us that they are writing out the entire Torah on stones almost like a more magnified version in a certain sense. So we have the announcing of commandments, we have it taking place at the mountains where everyone can hear it and can see it, and it's a whole grand display. Everyone's there to watch, everyone's there to listen. And there are other several parallels they might notice. But what's more important for us right now is not just the fact that we had one covenant and then we have a new covenant, which in some, in some ways resembles the first one, but notice the differences between the covenants. So, for example, um, earlier it was on one mountain, Har Sinai. Right? But now the, the new covenant is actually by two mountains. The first covenant, so the one communicating the the contents of the covenant, which was Hashem himself, he spoke from the heavens to everyone who was standing beneath the mountain. Everyone was standing beneath the mountain, but the covenant was, well, it was taking place basically above the mountain. All the people were listening from below. Now, fast forward to our Parsha, Parsha Kisabo, and we find a contrast that, that the B'nai Israel are situated not beneath the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, but they are on top of the mountains. And where are the commandments coming from? Not coming from the Shemayim above, but... Sorry about that. Um, but again, the contents of the covenant, in this covenant, the commandments are not coming from above, but they're coming from between the mountains in the valley. The Kohanim are the ones that are communicating them. So it's not coming from the Shemayim, it's not Hashem speaking it, but it's actually a human communicating it from below. Very, very interesting, right? We have first one mountain, everyone's beneath the mountain. Now we have two mountains, and everyone's on top of the mountains. And they're listening, they're, they're looking downwards to hear from, from, from the bottom up. Not only that, but the first covenant was actually sealed in the luchos, which were basically placed in the aron, in the Kodesh HaKadosh, where basically no one could, uh, could see it. Whereas the new covenant is taking place on stones, large stones, the Chumash says, Avanim Gedolim, where everyone can see it, it's in plain sight, and the, and the words are written on the stones. So what can account for all of these differences? Right? There's some, there are more differences. The, the fact that we have it in blessing and curse form, the fact that the uh, the Bnei Israel they actually have to answer right they said they said Naaseb and Ishma at Har Sinai in the original covenant but now for this one every single time the 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 commandment is communicated they have to affirm they have to answer in the affirmative they have to say Amen so we have again the people on top as opposed to below they're on two mountains they're not and um, and the speaker is, is is in the valley in this covenant not in the Shemayim. So what's the, what's the deal with this covenant? What, 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 why is it seemingly like almost like a reverse of the first covenant? So to answer this question, I want to go back to another Parsha that we had earlier. 
Now, I will caution you and give a disclaimer that none of this did I really see anywhere. It's just an observation. And, um, you know, I mean, my hope is that, that I would find that someone who said this before, because I think this idea is very compelling, but you could do what you want with it. But this covenant in my mind resembles a mitzvah topic that we saw in, in an earlier Parsha. And I think you'll be able to possibly figure it out yourself if I point out some of the variables that are significant enough. And that is, we have the communication of these curses. And if you look at the nature of the curses, all of the commandments that are discussed here, what do they have in common? So the Rashbam, and I think Rav Hirsch says this as well, they all have to do with secrecy. One of the common words that you find in this covenant is the word basaser, which means in secret, in a seser, right? We find this word a few times in the covenant. So, uh, for example, the Chumash talks about in this covenant, taking an avodazara, and then you're going to place it basaser where no one can see it. You think that's going to be okay? You're still cursed no matter what talks about what if you, you stealthily or you secretly hit your friend. Now, we might say that means that you're hitting him in a dark alley where no one could see. Chazal says it's a reference to Lashon Hara. Nonetheless, in, in any event, it references doing this secretly. It's a secret attack of some sort. Now, we have a lot about also um, sins that, uh, that occur through intimacy or occur through... Um, family-related things, or or moving the boundary of your friend, or causing an ever to stumble, someone who's unsuspecting. All these things are things that perhaps in a court of law you can get away with them just because no one will know that you did it. They're all basaser. The theme is seser, seclusion. So here we have an avera that might be committed in seclusion, but we don't, you know, we don't necessarily see that you're doing it. And then, all of a sudden, we communicate these curses. And who's communicating it? So we have the Kohanim and the Levi, and we have Shevet Levi communicating it, that the, there are going to be this cur- these curses if you do this wrong thing, or if you, if you think to do this wrong thing, maybe you did this wrong thing, you're still cursed. And everyone answers, Amen. So what does this covenant remind you of? That there's an Avera that you might do in seclusion, and then... The Kohen and the Levi, the, the Sheva Levi is, is saying that you'll be cursed if you do it, and everyone has to answer Amen. So in my mind, this resembles the Sota. Why are we referencing the Sota right now? So let's go back. Why are we having a new covenant in the first place? Well, what was wrong with the old covenant? Well, nothing was wrong with the old covenant except that we breached it. When did we breach it? So think back to Sota and think back to when we might have breached the covenant at the Chet Egel, right after the Chet Egel, when Moshe Reno was not there, and when, when, the, when the policeman, as it were, or the babysitter, as it were, wasn't watching, it was at that point that the Bnei Yisrael committed the Chet Egel. So in a certain sense, they were secluded, right? Didn't, uh, you know, they didn't feel that Hashem was in their presence, in their midst, and Moshe Rabbeinu certainly wasn't there, so they committed an Avera. And the Avera in a certain sense, resembled adultery, just like the Sota. And what does the Chumash tell us happened in that story? That two things that Moshe Rabbeinu did. He threw down the Luchos, and he smashed down the Egel, and he made the Bnei Israel drink the pounded Egel. Now, what do those two things remind you of? The shattering of the Luchos, taking the, 
the luchos that are inscribed with Hashem's holy words and Hashem's holy name, erasure of Hashem's holy name, and then making the Bnei Israel drink the Egel, that also reminds us of the, of the Sota, which, by the way, Rashi tells us right there that Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to test them like a Sota because they had um, betrayed their husband, as it were. And we have the, the erasure of Hashem's name in Sota. We have the drinking of the bitter waters in Sota. And so we see that there was this breach of the covenant. That's what Sota represents, a breach of a commitment to a, a very particular covenant. Now, we fast forward to this covenant where things are a little bit reversed. The Bnei Israel are not beneath the mountain, they are on top of the mountains. Why? And why are they looking down into the valley below? Why are they looking into the earth and not into the Shemayim? Because when you had the original covenant, the original covenant, you might have said, it refers to all the things that people can see that are in plain sight. Harsina was a laser light show. That was something that everyone was able to see. It was exciting. And yet the Luchos were placed in a very secluded place, which almost might give off the impression that, you know what, what's really happening behind closed doors, maybe... No one really needs to know about it, and maybe it doesn't matter. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So now everyone's standing on top of the mountains. They're not looking up into Shemayim, where only Hashem knows, or, or where, where they can all see that Hashem knows. They're looking down to the earth, into the earth where you might think you're secluded from Hashem, or you might think you're secluded from mankind. No one's going to know. You look down to the earth, and you realize that even down into the earth, you can't hide. Even when you think you're basasar, you think you're in secrecy, you can't hide. And this is what the Kohen tells them. And why do we have to answer, Amen, like the Sota? Because now we're saying, we're acknowledging that this is in fact the reality. We can't hide from the reality. Now we have to admit, Amen, that this is in fact true, that if we do the wrong thing, we are in fact cursed. And so we have a new covenant that brings things full circle, where this covenant of secrecy makes us recognize that there is no hiding from Hashem. And therefore, this new covenant is the covenant that will hopefully be binding in the future. It's not that different from the original covenant, except for the fact that it highlights that now there are no secrets. There is no, there's no such thing as Hashem is not watching me anymore. There's no such thing as, as Moshe Rabbeinu is not watching. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to be there, and we're still going to be bound by the covenant. So there, there's, there's plenty to think about there. And this also might connect to the concept of Arvos, because Arvos is one of the things we learn from this new covenant, as um, you, you'll, you might notice from Rashi in next week's Parsha, Nitzavim. I don't want to jump too far, um, but um, with Parsha's Nitzavim, so the, the Torah differentiates between the Niglos and the Nistaros. Right, the Niglos, we have to be, you know, we have to make sure we're we're looking out for one another and making sure that no one's doing the wrong thing. The Nistaros, the secret sins, Hashem's gonna take care of that. Right, and that's what this covenant is about. But the aspect of Arvos is that whatever we do know about, we should do something about it. And this is where we get to the second Tokha, because the second Tokha, so the Vilna Gon um, points out one one of the reasons why we have this new Tokha, if you look at the difference between um, Lashon Yachid and Lashon Rabbim. And there's an ironic, um, there's an ironic message from Lashon Yachid to Lashon Rabbim that the Vilna Gaon points out. My Rebbe of Sachs points this out often. And that is that whenever you have Lashon Rabbim, plural, it's referring to every individual. 
Uh, it's referring to it's referring to the group of individuals. Whenever it's in lashon yachid, or not, I wouldn't say whenever, but many times when the Torah speaks in lashon yachid in singular, it's actually referring to the entire group as a whole. Um, so it's like talking to us like one person. And this is one of the differences between the two between the two tochachos. And the two tochachos um, it tells us that as individuals and as group we are responsible. And this is uh, where we also this is also another place where arvos or koisral or revim comes in. Now going back to why again we have an um, a second tochacha. So we could say one because we need to reinforce the covenant, the, just like the first time we had a bris with Hashem at the end of Vayikra, then we needed a, a tochacha. So we have one here. So you could say that the Ramban talks about the prophetic aspect of the differences between the two tochechos and how they each represent korban korban bias. We have bias rishon and bias sheni, and the Ramban points out how each. Um, how the nature of each tochacha is very different, and, and how each one speaks to the different korbanos that took place. Um, there's one more point that I want to focus on, which brings us back to a point that we referenced earlier that has to do with the significance of Bikurim in our parsha and the significance of another mitzvah in, in, uh, in Parsha's Bichukosai, which was the mitzvah of Shemitah. Right, several places in the Tochacha and Parshas Bichukosai, the Chumash highlights that the that the problem, the reason, the cause for the Tochacha taking place is the neglect of Shemitah. You're going to be punished sevenfold for your sins, seven corresponding to Shemitah. That now, finally, the land will be appeased for all the neglected Shemitah years. Right, so the Chumash talks about Shemitah a lot there, and Parshas Bahar is where we finally, where we first learn about Shemitah at length. Right, it's mentioned in Parshas Mishpatim as well, but at length it's spoken about in Parshas Bahar. Now in our Parsha we have a mitzvah of Bikurim. And then, fast forward to one of the most important differences between the Titochechos. First one talks about how we walked with Hashem casually, that we didn't take the Torah seriously, we rejected the Torah, fine. Parshas Kisavo, our Parsha, does not talk about how we neglected the Torah, but it actually talks about how we Neglected to serve Hashem b'simcha uvetuv levav merov kol. We neglected to serve Hashem with utmost happiness from all of the great bounty that He's given us. Those buzzwords, those buzzwords come from from the parsha of Bikurim earlier in Kisavo, where it talks about v'samachta b'chalatov. That you're supposed to rejoice from all the good that Hashem has given you. So, what exactly is this difference between? the Shemitah neglect, and this sort of neglect of the Hashkafa of Mikrabikurim. And the idea can only be appreciated, or I, can, I should say it can better be appreciated if you understand the different themes in the two Tochechos. That the first Tochecha, one, one of the recurring motifs in the first Tochecha is how you will flee and there's no pursuer. The Tochecha in Bukhakosai says this several times. You're going to flee, but there's going to be no one chasing you. Like you're, you're running in circles, you're, you're, you're hiding from nobody. You're just running around. That theme is going to be connected to Shemitah in a second. What theme do we find in, in Kisavo? And by the way, there are many themes in the Tochechos. But one theme that you find frequently in Kisavo is the Chumash talking about how there's going to be no relief for the Kaf Raglicha. The, the sole of your foot's not going to find any place to just relax. It says it several times in the Tochecha at least two or three or four times that it's mentioned, the concept of the sole of your foot's not going to be able to rest. 
What's the significance of that, and how is that connected to Bikurim? So going back to Shemitah and the first Tocha, earlier what we, what we said was that the theme was that you're going to flee, there's no one pursuing you. Shemitah is an expression of faith, of bitachon, of, of amuna, faith and trust in Hashem. That even though I'm in what you might think of as a scary position, but I'm going to have faith and I'm going to go through with it anyway. We can understand why a person's nervous when it comes to Shemitah, but when you have the food at your disposal, in that seventh year, you already have the previous year's food, right now there's no one chasing you, and therefore you should not be panicking. You should have faith in Hashem. But that's, that, 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 that's what um, the first Tocha is responding to, the, that lack of faith. I neglected the Torah because I lacked faith. When it comes to Bikurim, Bikurim is not a moment of faith. That's a moment of you should have gratitude because Hashem has proven Himself. Hashem has given you. Bikurim, you have the bounty, and therefore you should be rejoicing from all the good. When you neglect to serve Hashem with that simcha, uvetuv levav merov kol, that is, 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 is not only, it's despicable, but it's, it's, it's neglecting to acknowledge when the things were good. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a display of a lack of gratitude. It's, it's ungrateful. And what's the theme there? The theme is that you're not even going to be able to find rest for the sole of your foot. Why? Because that's a bare necessity. You didn't thank Hashem when everything was amazing. Now you're gonna, you're the, you, now you're finally gonna just appreciate the ability to rest, right? If you think of minucha v'simcha, right? You're not even gonna have minucha l'kafraglo. I think of the Yona, that lo Yona motzavo menoach, the l'kafraglo. The 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 Yona did not find rest for the sole of its foot. The first time we have that is obviously in Parshas Noach, but here it's kind of referenced. You're not going to find rest for the sole of your foot. You're going to not find menucha. And why won't you find menucha? Because you didn't express simcha when you should have. And that's, that's, that, that's Bikurim. You did not show gratitude to Hashem. So this would be the difference between Lahagid Baboker Chastecha, right? The fact that you did not thank Hashem and acknowledge His kindness in the morning. You didn't, give, you know, you didn't fully express it the way you should have with Bikurim. Your amuna during the nighttime, that's Shemitah. You should have had amuna, even when things were a little bit scarier. But th- th- this might be something that's happening in these two tochechos, speaking to these two points, the point of faith on the one hand, the faithlessness in, uh, in, the, in the first tochecha, and, and ungratefulness in the second tochecha. Shemitah on the one hand, Vikram on the other. Anyway, there's a lot there. And that takes us through Parshas Kisavo, but we're not finished yet, because apparently, now that Moshe Benu's speech has mainly been finished, Moshe is going to open up again. And in this next part, Moshe is going to be getting to the finishing touches, that which the Bnei Israel need to know before he leaves. The covenant, or at least the contents of the covenant, have been laid out for us. But now, now that that's all been said and done, Moshe is going to talk about exactly who that applies to. And the spoiler is that it applies to everybody, but we're going to see why that's significant next week, Be'ezras Hashem. In the meantime, that takes us through Kisavo. I wish you an absolutely wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for joining us here at Parsha Panorama, and as always, thank you for joining us here at the database.